0: Well, hey, I am uh, really glad to come to the end of our study of Esther uh, because it's been to, for me. I can't speak for anybody else, but for me, it's been a fruitful study. I've really enjoyed uh, diving into this book, kind of a uh, tucked away in the middle of the Old Testament book. But uh, uh, hopefully, we'll conclude it this morning in uh, in a really fitting way. And we've called the study "Faith in Blank." Each week, we've tried to fill that blank in with something true about God, some truths that will challenge and sustain us hopefully for a long time to come. And you know sometimes when you hear a sermon, you hear a message, it hits you right where you are, and sometimes you just store up that information for uh, uh, withdrawal later. So I don't know where you find yourself, but uh, either way, opening up God's Word together is always fruitful. I'm really glad to be able to do it with you this morning and glad to be able to, to celebrate communion as well. And this, this story of Esther has really been about God's providence. And providence is kind of an unusual word. We don't use it much outside of church. You don't hear it in the news a lot, anything like that. It's kind of an unusual word. It's uh, it's Latin, comes from Latin. Pro meaning uh, forward or, or ahead. And then uh, video or vision, which means to see. So providence means looking ahead or, or seeing ahead, something like that. And, and it's interesting because God is really the only one who can do that. God holds the future in his hands and, and his providence, his foresight is really what guides us and cares for us as we put our faith in him uh, to give us a future. And so, so Esther is really a providential story, a story that looks ahead because in part because of what it teaches us about God. It teaches us that, that God is in control, and our role is to put our faith in Him, being guided by Him in our actions. And ultimately, that's been my goal with the study, is just to encourage us to to put our faith in God, even when we can't clearly see Him, when we can't fully understand what He might be up to. Uh, you know, that's part of the reason the book of Esther was written in the first place, to encourage God's people, encourage them to follow God through challenging circumstances. And I hope that throughout this series, we've been able to to strengthen our faith, to resolve ourselves uh, to do that. And so my goal this morning as we finish up the book is is, uh, just to connect the truth of this book to our lives in Christ today. And if we knew then what we know now, How would things be different? What decisions would we make differently, right? Each of us has moments, no doubt, when we can look back and think, Ooh, if I knew then what I know now, I would have done that differently, right? Uh, But I have one friend who made the right decision on a very, very fateful day, and she has no doubt that she would do the exact same thing again if given the chance. She was living in New York City in September of 2001, and she worked for a small company who had an office in the World Trade Center. Maybe you can providentially see where this story is headed, right? She wasn't feeling very well, so she made a doctor's appointment for the following day, which was a Tuesday, the 11th. And since she wasn't feeling well, she didn't want to have to go to the doctor alone. Nobody likes to really do that when you don't feel well. So she called her boyfriend, who also worked at the World Trade Center, and uh, kind of sweet-talked him into taking her to the doctor and he was back and forth about it. He had a kind of a busy day planned, but he decided for her he would do it. And so they both called in sick to work and then headed to her doctor appointment first thing in the morning, Tuesday, September 11th, 2001. Well, needless to say, their lives would be remarkably different uh, had they just gone about their business that day, just, just gone to work like they normally would have. There's no doubt in their minds, that God spared their lives that day, and they've worked hard to to live for him in the meantime as a result of that. Now they're married, they've got beautiful children, and all because God provided for them in a pretty dramatic way. And in a similar way, we see God's provision for his people in the story of Esther. She started off as a young orphan and then was taken into the palace and became queen, God used her and her courageous faith to provide safety and redemption for his people. She confronted the king and was able to open his eyes to this crisis that was facing her and her people. if you 'll recall at the end of chapter seven, which we talked about last week, Esther made her plea to the king. she told him about haman 's evil plot that endangered her, and the king was upset that, that Haman had basically taken advantage of him, and so he had Haman executed. Things seemed like they 're going to work out pretty well for Esther, so I want us to pick up the story in chapter 8, which starts off with some pretty good news. Chapter 8 starts off this way. That same day, King Xerxes gave Queen Esther the estate of Haman, the enemy of the Jews. And Mordecai came into the presence of the king, for Esther had told how he was related to her. The king took off his signet ring, which he had reclaimed from Haman, and presented it to Mordecai. And Esther appointed him over Haman's estate. So, Mordecai is honored, Esther is safe, but there's still this law hanging out there where all the Jews would be killed on a certain day, this day chosen by Haman when he cast the lots. And so, so as chapter 8 starts, Esther still has work to do. She still has things that God has called her to, and she begs the king for mercy again, hoping that he can repeal this law that Haman created, this law that would annihilate all the Jews. But You may recall a couple of times in this book of Esther, there's a little detail that's been mentioned. You can see it first in chapter 1, this this rule that exists in Persia. Look at chapter 1. You'll see it on the screen. Verse 19. Therefore, if it pleases the king, let him issue a royal decree and let it be written in the laws of Persia and Media, which cannot be repealed. So once the king makes a law, it can't be repealed. So Esther's begging for something that just can't, happen. The king can't repeal the law. It's impossible. The king's going to have to find a different way to cancel out this death warrant, to cancel the effects of this law. And so a new law is written and distributed that gives Jews the protection they need and frees them from death. So this this certain death that was facing God's people, it can't be repealed, but the king can create a new way to cancel out death for God's people. The king provides for God's people by creating this new provision, this way to escape death for God's people. And the result of this provision is seen at the very end of chapter 8. In every province and in every city to which the edict of the king came, there was joy and gladness among the Jews. So when the king creates a new way for God's people to escape death, there's joy. And hopefully you can begin to see some of the connections between God has done in Esther, and what God has done for us through Christ. Each and every one of us faces death. Uh, The Scriptures are very clear that the wages of sin, what a person earns as a result of sin, is death. And uh, death is coming for each and every one of us. No matter what we got going for us in this life, that's something that's inescapable. It can't be repealed. Death is coming. And yet, our King, King Jesus, has secured a way for us, to escape death. Jesus came to earth as fully God. He was fully human. He lived a sinless life, and yet he was killed as a criminal. Just like we see people executed in the book of Esther, Jesus himself was executed, and yet uh, he was innocent. He willingly chose to die for our sake. Jesus said no one was capable of taking his life. Instead, he was willing to give it away for our sake. So Jesus himself dies, but then something amazing happens. He rose from the dead. He himself escaped death in a way that no one imagined was possible. And the Bible describes Jesus as the first fruit of those who will be raised from the dead. So that means that uh, he was the first to escape death, but he's not the only one. All of us who put our faith in him, we can experience the same thing. Our king has created a way for us to escape death, to cancel out death for God's people. And for those of us who have put our faith in Christ, who've turned away from sin and turned towards him, looking to him as the king of our lives, then we, just like the people of God in Esther's time, we can escape death. Jesus' work on the cross secures for us eternal life, a life with God forever. And just like we see in Esther, this news, this news that God's people can escape death by putting their faith in Christ, it should be met with joy, right? We call it good news, and it is. It's the best news there is. uh, None of us has to face death because we have this gift of eternal life. And just as people in Esther's time didn't earn the gift from their king, we didn't earn it from our king as well. It's a free gift of grace, and we should respond with joy. And it's that joy that leads the people of Esther's time to commemorate the occasion. Chapter 9 of Esther details the creation of a holiday, a holiday that the Jews all over the world still celebrate today, a holiday called Purim. Uh, you'll remember that Haman cast lots called pure in order to determine what day the Jews would face death, and so this holiday Purim is named to commemorate the victory that God's people had over evil and over death. And in chapter 9, we see the people of God triumph. Esther and Mordecai see the, the complete deliverance for the Jews in Persia as they triumph over their enemies. And Mordecai sends out this edict that the Jews should annually commemorate the day with a celebration. You see that in verses 20 to 22. And the passage is summarized this way in verse 28. These days should be remembered and observed in every generation by every family. So the days of death had come and gone, and the people are still alive, and they rejoice, and a celebration is established that allows them to commemorate their deliverance from death. Well, again, I hope that you can see connections between what the people in Esther's time experienced and what we experience today. We've put death... Behind us, We've put uh, death behind us and we have eternal life through Christ. And now a celebration has been created that helps us commemorate what our King has done for us. Communion or, or the Lord's Supper, it's a way for us to commemorate what Christ has done has done. Jesus himself instituted it with his original disciples, and he told them to repeat it. Jesus borrowed some of the significant elements of Passover and and reinterpreted them for his followers. He wanted them to understand the connection between God's provision and God's deliverance at Passover, and God's deliverance and provision through what he was about to do through his death. And so, Uh, We don't celebrate Purim, we don't commemorate Passover, but we do celebrate and commemorate communion as Jesus encouraged, because communion gives us a chance to reflect on the deliverance that God has given each of us. And unlike the, the people of the Old Testament, God doesn't deal with us as one big group, as one nation. He deals with us as individuals. And uh, Ordinance of Communion gives us, as individuals, a chance to reflect on what God has done for each of us. Just as Purim was designed to commemorate God's deliverance, communion is the same thing. It commemorates God's deliverance from sin for each And every one of us who have trusted Jesus, who have put our faith in his work on the cross, we're delivered from the power of sin and the power of death. Our individual sins have been forgiven by God because Christ paid that punishment that our sins deserved. And so as Purim is a celebration that has a sober background, so is communion. It's a celebration. It is, after all, good news, as we said, but it's a sobering occasion. Sobering because we realize if we're honest with ourselves, we deserve death. Each and every one of us, we realize that that's what's true. It's sobering because we realize, too, that even after all Jesus has done for us, we still sin. Each and every one of us is at the same time free from sin and full of sin. We're free from sin, and that our sins have been forgiven. There's no more punishment from God for us, and yet at the same time, we're full of sin because we know that we're all one bad decision away from sinning at any given moment. Temptation stays with us even after Jesus has paid the punishment for our sins, and so that's why we say communion is a celebration. But it's a sober one. We celebrate Christ's work, which was sufficient payment to cover all our sins, the past, the present, even the future. And yet we soberly reflect on the fact that we're still a people who need God's grace and forgiveness. None of us deserves the gifts that God has given us, and none of us could earn it. God's gift of forgiveness of sin and eternal life are just that. They're gifts, and we don't deserve them. God reversed the death sentence that we earned. And we're incapable of escaping death on our own. In fact, as we said, all we can do is earn death. And yet God, in His great love for us, provided a way for us to escape death and to live with Him forever. He provided Jesus. And that's our big idea this morning. What we put our faith in is simply this. We put our faith in God's provision. Period. God provided a way for us to cancel out death. He provided a way for us to commemorate and to celebrate that. Jesus' work on the cross is God's provision for our sin and for death. Because of what Jesus has done, none of us has to be ruled by sin. Because Jesus was raised from the dead as the first fruit, God provides us with the same eternal life. And Jesus himself, he summarized the situation this way. He said, I tell you the truth. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. So just as God provided for his people through the person of Esther, God provides for his people today through the person of Christ. And the way to receive God's provision is just to put our faith in him, to put our faith in Jesus as the one God sent to provide a way for us to escape death. Putting our faith in God's provision means we look to Jesus as the forgiver of our sins and the leader of our lives. Jesus is God's provision for us. And we said at the beginning of the message that this word provision it means looking ahead and that's true even of Jesus. A life that's found in Christ is a life that looks ahead, a life that looks to eternity in God's presence, a life that, that's grateful to God for what He's done for us. And, and over and over again in God's Word, He provides for His people. He provides at Passover. He provides in Esther's time. He provides through the ultimate provision of Jesus. And yet all of these things look ahead, look ahead to a time when, when there will be no more sin And no more death, a time when, when Jesus will return and reign as king over all the earth, taking his rightful place. And so we want to continue to put our faith in him as the provision sent from God. And we respond to God's provision in a couple of ways. One, by partaking in the Lord's Supper. We'll do that in just a moment. That's one way that God has given us to respond to his provision. And for those who have put our faith in Christ, that's a great way for us to respond. But there's a second response that comes from the book of Esther. And it comes from the, the simple truth that God continues to deliver us. In the story of Esther, even after this curse of death was reversed, God continues to provide for his people. Look at the very last last verse of the book. Mordecai the Jew was second in rank to King Xerxes, preeminent among the Jews, and held in high esteem by his many fellow Jews because he worked for the good of his people and spoke up for the welfare of all the Jews. God continued to provide for Mordecai and for Esther and for all God's people through them, Even after this decree had gone out, Mordecai remained faithful to God, and God continued to provide for him. And notice how he provides. God gave Mordecai a position from which he could help other people. And God gave Mordecai a platform, not just for his own sake, so that Mordecai could continue to serve God and to do God's will. Well, in the same way, God's provision for us is not meant to stop with us. It's God provided Mordecai with a position and a platform. He provides us with a position and a platform so that we can provide for others who need Christ. We can be catalysts to introduce others to Christ. That's part of God's plan for providing for us. God provides us with eternal life, but he doesn't take us to that life right away. You know, when you accept Christ, you're not whisked immediately up into heaven. Why is that? Well, in part, it's so that we can be catalysts and, and use our position and our platform to share Christ with other people. I appreciate how uh, the theologian Gordon Fee says it. He says, God is not just saving individuals and preparing them for heaven. Rather, he's creating a people among whom he can live and who in their life together will reproduce God's life and character. God's provision shouldn't stop With us. We we celebrate it, and the result should be that we share it with others. Notice in in Esther, when God's people celebrate God's provision, what the result is many people of other nationalities became Jews. Well, that's God's desire, God's purpose in, in saving us and providing for us, so that many others will encounter us and become a part of God's family through Christ. So let's live out joyfully, knowing that we put our faith in God's provision alone to give us eternal life. And in our celebration, in our rejoicing over what Jesus has done for us, let us never forget that we didn't earn it. We should be joyfully and liberally sharing it with other people, sharing God's provision with everyone we come in contact with. It's good news for everyone, but if we don't share it, they'll never know how good God's provision is. We should live in a way that reflects God's goodness and care for us, living with joy, and we should actively pray and seek to share that joy with other people, the joy of knowing Christ. So that's one way for us to respond to God's provision in saving us from our sins. Let's not keep it to ourselves. One final observation about God's provision. God provided Jesus as a way for us to have eternal life. He also provides this way for us to commemorate what he's done for us. And even Jesus himself understood that we would need reminding, we would need a realignment, a recentering in uh, reminding ourselves what Jesus has done for us. On the night that Jesus was arrested, he dined with his disciples, but beyond only sharing a meal, he used it as a moment to teach them. He instructed them with a way to commemorate what he was about to do, to die on their behalf, well, in the same way that the festival of Purim commemorates God's provision as a way to escape death, this sober celebration of communion, the Lord's Supper is a way for us to reflect on God's provision for us through Christ. And so as we partake of the Lord's Supper, I want it to be a strengthening occasion for us, strengthening our faith and our foundation in God's provision. I'm going to invite the men who are helping us uh, serve to come forward at this time. And as we partake of the Lord's Supper, we want you to know that this is open to anyone who is a follower of Christ. Looks like we might be a little short-handed this morning. <laughs> How many arms do you have? Not too many. Here's a couple of guys. Thank you, guys, for stepping up. Andrew, would you mind uh, being one more hand for us? Thank you so much. It's hard to say no when I call you out from here. <laughs> appreciate it. Well, as we partake of the Lord's Supper, I want you to know this is open to anyone who is a follower of Jesus. If you have put your faith in Christ, uh, even from another church or another background, then you're welcome to, uh, to be here. If you have a personal relationship with Jesus, then this is a uh, sober celebration for you, as it is for us. And if that's not a decision that you can point to in your life, if you don't have a, a moment you can look back on when you uh, turned away from sin and turned towards Christ, then I would encourage you to use this time as a way to reflect on God, on what he's done, his provision through Jesus. And one thing I'll, I'll share with you, I think is really interesting, that before there were any written gospel accounts, before there was any record of Jesus' teaching, there was communion, and yet it's a beautiful picture of of what Jesus has done, his sacrifice on our behalf being applied to us as we take it in. So that's something you can reflect on, perhaps. And nobody's going to think anything less of you if you let these uh, elements pass right on by you. One other thing I'll say is simply... Uh, the same warning that the New Testament gives. If uh, The New Testament warns about taking communion in what it calls an unworthy manner. Now, we've already said that uh, each of us is simultaneously free from sin and full of sin. That's not the unworthy manner we're talking about, but we're talking about if you're living in open rebellion against God, if you're living in a way that you know is not pleasing to God, and you've uh, uh, set aside doing anything about it, then, then that you partake of this, you partake of judgment upon yourself, the New Testament says. So I would encourage you, if that's where you are, use this time as a way to do some business with God and, and, and work that out and let these elements pass by you. Now, communion was created by Jesus as a way for his followers to commemorate what he's done for us, to commemorate God's provision of Christ. And the bread and the juice represent his body and his blood broken and poured out for us, paying the penalty that our sins deserve. And the Bible tells us that uh, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread, and after giving thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, broken for you.